Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Danny Kittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Danny. It's good to be uh, back on the show with you. Good to be back. Uh, in our main topic today, we're going to be looking at calls for a complete ban on smoking in Hong Kong by 2030. The University of Hong Kong's medical school says Hong Kong is well-placed to become one of the first places in the world to completely ban tobacco, saying this is essential to protect children from secondhand smoke. It's the latest and perhaps most radical response to the government consultation exercise on anti-smoking measures, which ends next week. But is a total ban really the answer or too much of a restriction on individual freedom? We'll be talking to one of those at the forefront of the cause for a ban and let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. And late in the program, we're going to be talking about Guaylo. That's a solo adaptation of Martin Booth's popular book about life as an expat boy in 1950s Hong Kong. Our guest for the uh, first segment of the discussion this morning, uh, we have uh, Dr. David Lam, uh, lawmaker medical and he- medical and health services. And we also have Dr. Daniel Ho. Dr. Ho is Associate Professor at um, the Division of uh, Community Medicine and uh, Public Health Practice at the School of Public Health in the University of Hong Kong. And uh, Dr. Ho is also one of those who's come forward with this call for a complete ban on tobacco in Hong Kong. Indeed, Dr. Ho has been quoted over the last couple of days saying, uh, tobacco products should be banned like drugs. So um, well, that's uh, aggressive. <laughs> good morning, Dr. Ho. Tell us more about, um, this, this, I mean, this call from you and your colleagues at Hong Kong U has really uh, sort of shifted the focus of debate in Hong Kong a bit. I mean, the government, when it put forward its consultation exercise, just a, a possibly a gradual ban was, uh, was one of the ideas they put out for consultation. And now you're calling for a complete ban in seven years. Oh, yes. Uh so, so don't get me wrong, we, we strongly support the government's um, proposals in the public consultation. Uh, but, but what we worry is that um, with, the, with the target of 7.8% by 2025, which is just a uh, just little bit over one year ahead, uh, unless we, we can increase the uh, tobacco test substantially uh, early this year, uh, that would be, would be quite difficult to achieve that um, that target, and uh, all the other the 14 uh, proposals in the consultation, uh, many of them, uh, those potent uh, policies would need uh, legislation. And by past experience, we know that uh, any of those legislations would require several years. <laughs> Right. We have so the legislation be, uh, yeah. that has gone much faster in the last number of years. I mean, it's a matter of government will to legislate, isn't it? Uh, for example, uh, we uh, had uh, increased the um, health warnings on cigarette packs from 50% to 85%. Uh, and it uh, started from 2015 and then it wasn't completed uh, until 2018, three years. And then... Uh, uh, for the banning of um, uh, alternative smoking products, namely e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products mainly, uh, the discussion started in 2018 and wasn't banned effectively uh, until last year, three, four years. If, so, you, if you want a total ban, that's going to require legislation. That's going to require much more strident legislation than any of these other measures. So, um, well, I mean, this is interesting, but uh, because... During those years, when we talked with uh, a lot of policymakers regarding banning e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products, 
Um, many of them agree and many of them uh, did not agree. Uh, but we have not uh, uh, come across a single lawmaker uh, who did not agree to, uh, to ban tobacco altogether. And they would challenge us, why you just ban e-cigarettes and tobacco products, but without banning uh, combustible uh, products? And we said that now we want to do it um, step by step. Uh, the, the traditional ones are historical problems. And we will deal with it later. Mm. Uh, but what we want is to ban those newcomers. And, and then we ban it, and now it's the time for the traditional products. But, but the issue at that time resulted that you uh, pushed people that's on uh, uh, e-cigarettes, to be, you pushed them back to, uh, to, uh, to regular cigarettes. I mean, the, the, the situation is now different. I mean, you, you're talking about uh, a complete ban of regular cigarettes. So if the e-cigarettes are gone, so now regular cigarettes to go also. Yeah, with, with, with e cigarettes and the heated tobacco products gone, I mean, the situation is now simpler and probably easier uh, because um, those different products uh, are targeted at different people. Now we have only the traditional ones, mainly cigarettes, to, to deal with. Uh, and uh, ban ideas would be very clear. It would be uh, difficult to not support uh, because we have this problem um, I should say we, we have known about the, the harms of tobacco use for 60 years at least because uh, it was 1964 when the U.S. Uh, Surgeon General uh, published their first report on smoking and health. 60 years have passed and we still allow tobacco to be a legal product. Uh, this is not, uh, doesn't make sense. We must stop. The, the tobacco industry's license to kill must end. Uh, the question is, how long should we wait further? Uh-huh. Okay, we're discussing uh, calls for a total ban on smoking in Hong Kong from uh, University of Hong Kong Medical School. You just heard uh, Dr. Daniel Ho from uh, the University of Hong Kong's Medical School putting forward uh, that, that proposal. Uh, Dr. Ho said that uh, he's never heard of, of any lawmaker who doesn't support a total ban. Well, we have... Uh, David Lamb. <laughs> we have David Lamb, a lawmaker from uh, Medical and Health Services. Uh, Dr. Lamb, welcome back to Backchat. Good morning. Uh, we've had you on the talking about uh, anti-smoking measures when the government consultation um, uh, proposal first came out. And uh, now we have uh, the team from University of Hong Kong calling for a total ban. Uh, what's your response? Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at their proposal, a total ban is not something to be done tomorrow. And it's a time scale of like seven, eight years I'm not quite sure whether we can achieve that in such a period of time. But end game for tobacco, I mean, it's a worldwide trend. It's not only a trend, but also supported by, by international medical studies. Because we all know tobacco is bad for health. It causes cancer and a lot of other diseases. There's no question about it. So the end game plan is there. It's just a matter of time. Hmm. So you support a total ban. You're just questioning maybe the uh, the year the the year in, um, in in just in seven years' time, 2030. Is that right, Doctor Lam? Uh, well, of course, I wish the day should come early. But then, if you look at what we have been doing in the past couple of years, uh, if you start like in the 1980s, the smoking rate was like over 20 percent back then, like 25 or 26 percent. And over a period of almost 30 years, we push it down to 10. Mm. Uh, and then in a matter of 
six, seven years, you want to put it down to zero. It's quite a challenging um, feat. But of course, I think this is the right direction to go for. Okay, now, but zero is pretty aggressive. Have, yeah. I mean, zero is very um, aggressive. I mean, if I look in New Zealand, uh, they don't say zero, um, they, and they probably have the most aggressive uh, tapering regime in the world right now. No, they say an end game, which is lower than 5%. Well, sure, but that's not zero. zero. That's not zero. Close to, close to. Now, if you just think about it, people who smoke uh, nowadays, they would probably be adults. You don't expect teenagers to smoke openly. So the first step is to prevent teenagers from picking up the habit. Mm -hmm. And then you step up the, uh, all the means of encouraging people to quit. And hopefully we can reduce it step by step. I'm not quite sure we can really achieve the 7.5% in two years' time, or less than two years. So New Zealand tapering, um, if I read it correctly, is that uh, in, 2020, in um, 2023 it will prohibit anyone born after January 1, 2009 from buying uh, cigarettes. And then in July 1, 2024, they will reduce the number of retailers able to sell uh, tobacco products. And then in 2025, reduce the amount of nicotine that is allowed to be um, included in tobacco products. And then in January 1, 2027, prohibits the sale of smoked uh, tobacco products to anyone born after 1 January 2009. So it's, it's, that's the most aggressive regime, and that's not a total ban. I mean, they're tapering. Are we planning to taper, or are we planning a total ban? The uh, final outcome should be a total ban. Worldwide, I'm not talking about Hong Kong. Like, just think about it. What is the purpose of tobacco smoking? Give me a useful purpose of tobacco smoking. Well, uh, drinking not... alcohol, I mean, no, having about, a you're, nice You're drink. an occasional well, smoker, aren't you, Paul? Right? No, I'm an occasional smoker. My mother is a, is a permanent smoker. Right. He, he does do passive day. My dad died of smoking. Tell me, I mean, exactly. Uh, tell me the useful purpose of smoking. It has been in this world. All around the world, not only in, in parts of uh, Native Americans, they do smoke for, for generations, but not for the rest of the world, mm -hmm. until like 100 years ago, or 150 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then what purpose does it serve, apart from killing a lot of people and putting a lot of people out of work and putting a lot of people in the hospital? Good. If there's no useful purpose, why should we still leave it on Earth? What is the use of having this harmful product that serve no useful purpose at all. Sure, but they're, they're, more, whether, they're more harmful. You see, yeah, you can, I'm not, I'm you not can quite sure how have you been in Hong Kong for as long as I have. Uh -huh, 40 well, years. Then, yeah, I've been here 50 odd years. Now, when I was younger, mm -hmm. when we stepped into uh, any bus, public light bus, mm -hmm. restaurant, bars, or even in the lift, there would be people smoking. Sure, it's horrible. Back then in the 80s, one and Four, more than one in four people smokes. So if you go into a lift, like there were 10 people, two or three will be smoking. And we all understand that smoke today, smoking is not only harmful, it causes cancer and lots of other serious diseases. So, but that's a very different so, thing. What, what, gives you, a, yeah. what gives these people the right to harm me? So, David, David, that's, that's a different thing. Yeah. I mean, that is like me harming you by smoking in a confined environment. I mean, we used to fly airplanes and then people were smoking next to you. It was horrible. In a lift, standing, it's horrible. I mean, of course, if you're forced yeah, to horrible. smoke, other people smoke it. And that is, of course, it shouldn't be put yeah, upon just, you. But this like is, we talk around. about here, the freedom of yeah, people to like smoke themselves. About, uh, the right of stabbing people on the street mm -hmm. is absurd, right? So you can't do that. Now, we're talking about, say, uh, what about in, uh, you look at the, uh, the study... Uh, done by the Hong Kong University, 
people, children, uh, high school students who are at home, they're exposed to uh, secondhand smoking, like mm-hmm. 30% in the, in the past seven days. And if you count neighbors, that's more. So it's everywhere. So how do you really uh, protect these younger generation from the harm of cigarette, the secondhand smoking and thirdhand smoking? Sure, that's and if you ban it one day in the future, I'm not talking about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But that's an educational issue too, isn't it? Okay. We're discussing uh, the University of Hong Kong's uh, propo- or the medical school's proposals for a total ban on smoking in Hong Kong. You just heard Dr. David Lam uh, from Lawmaker Medical and Health Services. Also with us is Dr. Daniel Ho from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, if you do have any thoughts on this topic, you can email us at backchat.rthk.hk or you go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and join the lively debate there about this proposal. Let me bring in uh, some contrasting comments appearing on our Facebook page. Uh, Marcus says, I support the ban on tobacco, even if it is against my core values of no ba- not banning anything. Nicotine is a worse drug than any. So ban tobacco and legalize harmless CPD and marijuana alcohol. That's another story. Uh, Mike, Mike then comes in to respond uh, with a very different view. Says, what? Wear your mask, take your jab, now ban the weed. I literally hate cigarettes, but I hate totalitarian governments even more. As I said, if you have any comments, do, do, do feel free to join the debate on our Facebook page. Um, uh, let's go back to uh, Dr. Daniel Ho from uh, the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Dr. Ho, you've been quoted as saying that um, if there is any place in the world that can successfully ban tobacco, it would be Hong Kong. Do you want to explain more? Yes. No, first, uh, to start with, Hong Kong has the lowest tobacco use uh, on Earth. And we are talking not only about cigarettes, but also other things, mm-hmm. uh, including e-cigarettes and heated uh, tobacco products. Uh, and we only have to deal with combustible products uh, if we have uh, to uh, to ban it. And and then our economy the, the does not rely on tobacco industry. We don't have big uh, tobacco companies. We don't grow tobacco in Hong Kong. And uh, as for enforcement, uh, our government is strong uh, in, in that sense. Uh, and then the public support is high. Everyone, uh, virtually everyone in Hong Kong, understand the harms of tobacco. Uh, and in Hong Kong, the Chinese culture, we uh, we do not um, uh, put uh, individual freedom uh, above uh, uh, collective welfare, and we do uh, emphasize uh, children's welfare, children's development, health, uh, and 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 also we have a very good support. On a total ban, I mean, in two the big surveys done uh, during 2019 to 2021, involving the more than 12,000 people, uh, an average of 77% of people supported banning tobacco by uh, 2030, and that includes uh, 17% of current smokers. So we have uh, uh, all these um, favorable conditions to allow us to be. Uh, the first successful place on earth to to ban tobacco. And did the survey also ask people why they don't support uh, the ban, uh, especially those who have identified themselves as non-smokers? No, it's a it's a quantitative uh, survey involving thousands of people. So, unlike interviews, we we cannot uh, uh, go deep into the reasons. Uh, but uh, this question was asked when Hong Kong. Uh, uh, has never been uh, seriously discussing a total ban. So, so people receive this question out of the blue and then they have to uh, make a decision whether they support or not. And I do believe that once we have a, a forum, for, uh, if 
discussion in in in, in general public the, the support will even be bigger. Mm. Now, Dr. Ho, what, let's be clear. I mean, what you're proposing is, I mean, New Zealand is often seen as sort of leading the way in banning smoking, but uh, they, they're not imposing, a to- or at least not initially, a total ban. They're only banning people under a certain age uh, from, uh, from, from smoking, um, and, or not even from smoking, from the sale of cigarettes. You're, what you're proposing is, is much more radical than New Zealand, isn't that right? I mean, you're just saying, no, even if people right. have been smoking all their lives, they may have been smoking 40 years, they're addicted to smoking, Mm-hmm. They have to stop in in seven years' time if your proposal is implemented. Now, uh, now you, you know the the WHO's uh, framework convention on tobacco control, the, the first international treaty on health, uh, signed by 182 uh, countries, covering more than 90 percent of uh, the world's population. They all have the same ultimate goal to uh, to phase out tobacco use. Mm-hmm. The only difference is uh, is that different countries have different situations and not all of them are ready to to ban smoking uh, right now or in a few years. It all depends on uh, the culture, their their current smoking patterns or tobacco use patterns. Now in New Zealand, uh, the overall patterns of smoking uh, might be not very high, but uh, in certain uh, subgroups in, in the country, uh, was up to say one quarter of the different the ethnicity uh, in, in New Zealand, so they may not be ready. Uh, New Zealand has a different approach. They they um, they used e-cigarettes to replace the smoking. Um, so uh, what they talk about uh, smoke-free is cigarette-free, uh, but they are creating another problem of uh, e-cigarette use. And you might have heard that the parents in New Zealand came out to protest against uh, the, the rapidly increasing uh, e-cigarette use among the children. Uh, and, and we do not want to see that. Tobacco, as David said, is unnecessary. Uh, and increasingly, uh, a, an uncivilized behavior. So uh, there's no reason why we cannot ban it. If okay. you can ban it. But, but so, so the question from Danny is uh, that, you know, whether or not you are and uh, to pro- propose that Hong Kong will be the first and only uh, uh, place in the world where there will be a total ban on, on tobacco products. Well, if, 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 we, if we do pass the, the bill to ban it, uh, say, by 2030, um, I think we would be likely to be successful. Right. Well, I mean, uh, it's, we, it's, it's a minority who smoke in Hong Kong. So, I mean, uh, if you're going to go by de- democratic principles, if they still apply, then um, uh, the, uh, the non-smokers will win the vote. Uh, we, 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 uh, we don't always use numbers, sheer numbers to, to oppose others. But tobacco is, is, uh, is, is an evil product in the, marketed by a prior industry. Mm-hmm. It's quite different. It's, it's totally different from other consumer products like uh, like soft drinks and like food. Well, yeah. I mean, it's totally different, and we do not. Sugar, sugar isn't uh, sugar isn't a very ha- a happy product either. But just to reconfirm for the third time, you are p- proposing a total ban as the only place in the world uh, within uh, the next few years, and that's your proposal. 
Uh, well, I mean, my our proposal is to ban uh, tobacco in Hong Kong. I mean, of course, not a total else. ban in Hong Kong for tobacco. In Hong Kong, yes, for tobacco, yeah, to yes. ban it like like drugs. Okay, that, that, that uh, was our proposal. Uh, yeah. Let's bring in some comments from listeners. A lot of comments coming from, in from listeners, and actually universally on the uh, on the same side. Um, uh, if you've got any thoughts on, on this topic, do email us at uh, backchat at rthk.hk. Let me try and bring in a, a selection of the comments. Uh, Rick says. Given Hong Kong is a nanny state, a smoking ban is an obvious move. Have we banned shark fin soup yet? Hong Kong could probably go a lot further. Ban cars, maybe. Shut bars down. Ban flying air conditioning. Where might this control end? And Rick says, well, that said, I'm actually a confirmed smoker. Uh, Brett says, smoking is bad, but consuming a physical addictive compound, which in sufficient quantity will kill and has an effect that calls into question the simultaneous operation of, for example, a motor vehicle, it's okay, question mark. Somehow the problem of secondhand smoke seems to pale in comparison. And to put a typical Hong Kong spin on this, in what way would the government tax us all to make up the shortfall from uh, tobacco duty? Uh, so raising the financial consequences there. And finally, for the moment, uh, Beth says, is this doctor completely mad? Ban smoking. I used to smoke from, uh, uh, for longer than 30 years. But what right do they have to ban smoking? No, I smoke no longer for 30 years. What right do they have to ban smoking? People have the right to choose whether they want to die or not. Next thing, they will ban alcohol. We may as well live in Iran where everything is banned. We have the right to decide on our health, not to be dictated to by some doctor that wants to be heard. So, uh, David Lem, I mean, uh, isn't it better mm. to uh, uh, focus on protection of, uh, of the innocent? Uh, you know, we talked about smoking in the presence of children or smoking at home, uh, rather than on banning cigarette smoking overall. Oh, well, overall is always the ultimate goal. See, but, but, if you mm -hmm. see anywhere in the world, like, say, in the United States of America, no one would encourage someone to shoot on the street, but then guns are not illegal. So when something is not illegal, someone will use it and abuse it. So eventually you have to ban something like cigarettes in the long run. I'm not, I'm not sure about the time. Uh, you talked about people who have been smoking for 40 years, 50 years. Well, is there any reason why they cannot stop smoking anytime soon? We have, as doctors, we have seen many, many people coming just too late. Either they have lung cancer, severe chronic obstructive airway diseases, or other diseases related to smoking. Of course, there are some who come with diseases related to alcohol abuse as well. Then it's always, it's never too late to stop smoking. So uh, to say that, oh, I have been smoking for 30 years, 40 years, what right you have there to stop me from smoking further? This is not the correct argument. The correct argument is that, come on, you've been smoking for 30 years, your lung is basically damaged, and the harm is there and it's accumulated. If you don't stop today, then very likely you have run a really much higher chance of developing heart diseases, uh, lung diseases, and cancers. So it's a choice up there for people to choose. Better stop. Do Dr. Lam, do you think there is support in the Legislative Council for a total ban? Uh, it always depends on timing. I mentioned time again is not something we can do tomorrow. But I am not very optimistic that we can do, that we can do it anytime soon. Given that our uh, tax on tobacco is just like 68% uh, today, which is short of the 75% suggested by World Health Organization, uh, we have a lot to do further. And education and also on the advertising bits and so on and so forth. Unless we really do good on all the experts 
and people are well educated to quit smoking and never to start smoking, then there's a possibility that we can uh, achieve an end game and then ultimately a total ban. I do not want to speculate on the time, but the direction is correct. Okay, so you're in favour of tapering. You would you would like to would you consider the uh, the measures that uh, I just read out as being the strategy of uh, New Zealand? for uh, tapering the smoking of these uh, tobacco products? Now, tapering has an ultimate goal of stopping. Mm-hmm. So tapering is not like tapering forever and ever and ever. Ultimately, it's mm-hmm. a, a complete cessation, and that is something I would support. Okay. But then as for the time, we cannot wait until next, next century, right? So we have to be quick. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, We're going to have to take a a break there for the news and we'll thank very much. You just heard uh, Dr. David Lam, a lawmaker, medical and health services, and Dr. Daniel Ho from the University of Hong Kong. Stay with us. We're going to be continuing the discussion on this topic after the news. Uh, The weather forecast, it'll be mainly fine, very hot during the day, with a maximum temperature of 34 degrees. There are going to be isolated showers later. Currently, 29 degrees, relative humidity, 78%. It's 9.30. Here's Hayley with the news. Local universities have been collaborating to build virtual learning environments for students studying journalism, logistics or heritage. The Metaverse project has over 8.7 million in government funding, with Hang Seng University, Hong Kong Chu High College, HKU School of Professional and Continuing Education and the University of Hong Kong joining forces to create three-dimensional virtual worlds. Three more men have been arrested for suspected conspiracy to defraud and related to the unlicensed cryptocurrency exchange JPEX, bringing the total number of arrests to 11. Police said more than 2,000 people have now reported a loss of a total of $1.3 billion involving the platform. The U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, has kept interest rates on hold, although it did flag another rise before the end of the year to bring down inflation. We'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Brain, heart, lungs, liver, stomach. There are two more major organs at the back. Kidneys are low-key by nature. One in ten people suffer from kidney disease to varying degrees. Those with diabetes or high blood pressure or with family or past history of kidney disease are more at risk. It can be completely asymptomatic in the early stage. Regular checkups can help detect kidney disease early to avoid kidney failure. Let's care more about the kidneys for better kidney health. The chief executive will announce his second policy address this October. The government is conducting a public consultation. Please share your views on various policy areas. I would like to have your views. We will do our utmost for people's livelihood and the economy. And together, let's make Hong Kong a better home. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Paul Zimmerman. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion about uh, the call from the University of Hong Kong's medical school for a total ban on smoking in Hong Kong by the year 2030. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking to the actor who's responsible for that uh, solo adaptation of Martin Booth's popular book, Guaylo, about life as an expat boy in 1950s Hong Kong. Um, our guests, as we continue the discussion on uh, the issue of smoking, 
working. We now have uh, David Sweener, who is adjunct professor of law and chair of the advisory committee on the uh, law, law policy and ethics at the University of Ottawa, joining us from Seoul, where he's currently at the Global Tobacco and Nicotine Forum. If you have any uh, thoughts on this topic, uh, you can do join the many other listeners who've been emailing us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, where there is a lively debate going on between uh, for and against the total ban, or you can call us on 233-88266. And Mike, who posted on our Facebook page earlier, has called. Uh, Mike, mm. good morning. This is like the good old times. <laughs> Hi, Mike. <laughs> the, the last comment that I made about smoking uh, was, one day you should have rooms at the airport where you must go inside that room if you wanted to smoke, that you weren't allowed to smoke in public, and I got laughed at. I, in fact, I got laughed off the ship. And this is entirely okay. Uh, up. Strange mood, but what I wanted to, what I wanted just to tell you, and I'll, I'll get off, get a little bit more precise with your medical advice. How's that? Uh, How's that? Cancer's not in, cancer's not as big as issues as heart disease. One cigarette will trigger um, uh, a cardiovascular event. And it's and it's the chemicals within that um, with your lung. And um, if you stop smoking for six months, your lungs will completely clear unless you have had emphysema. Okay. So let's not get stay with the scare tactics. Let's really you know focus in on what's really happening. Because right. I had many friends that thought they could taper down, and even having one cigarette was doing huge cardiovascular damage to them and they thought they were really improving okay so we know the damage but uh, what's your position uh, a total ban or tapering or uh, let people do what they want to uh, do you know what you know what happens whenever you have a prohibition you just get another group of millionaires because it ain't going to stop and you're going to get you're going to get the um, smuggling the, the triad societies are going to be Running the tobacco. Okay, thank you. So, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Right, it's clear. impossible to stop it. Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you very much, Thanks, Mike. Mike. And uh, please do keep the comments uh, coming on our Facebook page. Uh, let's now go to our guest, uh, David Sweener. David Sweener uh, from the University of Ottawa, as we mentioned, he's currently in Seoul at the uh, Global Tobacco and Nicotine um, Forum. Uh, good morning, uh, Mr. Sweener, uh, Professor Sweener. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Very good to be on the show. <laughs> so what do you make of these calls in Hong Kong from the University of Hong Kong's medical school? Uh, they, they want to go further than New Zealand. I mean, they, they, they want to say no, for existing smokers, not, not just for, for young kids. Um, uh, they want to ban um, cigarettes for everyone in seven years' time. What's, what's your response? Um, I, I suppose it was early in my career I, I'd be shocked. Uh, but I, I have worked over 40 years on policy measures globally to tackle the carnage from cigarette smoking. And I find I'm constantly having to remind people that if we're really trying to reduce this terrible level of death and disease, we have to focus on pragmatism. We have to, to be effective rather than dramatic. You know, we, we need to, to look at what's happening and what can we realistically accomplish. And I was actually rather shocked to find that they're conflating smoking, tobacco, and nicotine. But we've known for 50 years, certainly since the work of Professor Michael Russell in the UK, that people smoke to get nicotine, mm. but they die from smoke. You know, what we have is a really dirty delivery system for nicotine. 
if people got their caffeine by smoking tea leaves, we'd have the same the same diseases. And we've seen in, in places where we replace cigarettes with low risk alternatives, we can reduce cigarette smoking very quickly and we could do it in a way that meets basic public health principles. Mm. You know, in public health, we talk about understanding people's lived experience. You know, why are they doing what they're doing? And meet them where they are. Don't dictate to them. Work with them. So, and empower them to make better decisions. So we've, and we've done a lot of that in Hong Kong. Success. We've done a lot of that in Hong Kong. So we have, we have a very low smoking rate now. We're supposed to be down to about 10%. So, I mean, what is the next step? I mean, the government is hoping to, or, or there are calls here for a complete ban on smoking. Uh, other people suggest just to taper it and, and deal with the, uh, the locations where it's harmful to children and so on. Well, I think we can look at the places that have had the most rapid declines in cigarette smoking globally. Mm. And in most cases, we see the same thing as we saw in the most rapid declines in the consumption of unsanitary food, uh, impure water, unsafe automobiles, uh, uh, dangerous pharmaceuticals. What we give people is a reasonable alternative to say that if you're smoking and you're addicted to the nicotine, we can give you alternatives that are massively less hazardous, expose you, those around you to, to no risk, and are not as addictive. You know, we will make those things available to you. We will give them a relative advantage in the marketplace through differential taxation, marketing availability, et cetera. And we will see how many people we can move because that's worked so effectively on so many other things. Uh, but prohibition is really just losing the ability to regulate something. If the market's there, the market's going to be met, but is it going to be met by a regulated industry that you can control and shape and change the sorts of products that are available? Or as your, your caller was saying, is it something that's going to be controlled through illicit channels, in which case you've given up? But if you sure, but if you stop the smoking, if you ban the smoking, uh, you open up a market for alternative products for nicotine delivery, isn't it? Well, I think if we look at New Zealand, they, they've done it the other way around, which is the history of these things. You know, we didn't ban on sanitary food in countries that were successful in the transition. We made available food that met sanitary standards and told people about it and encouraged that move. You don't need to ban the alternatives. People stop using them. Mm. You know, we, we changed the automobile industry. We changed industrial machinery. Uh, we've made railroads massively less hazardous. It's basically what Steven Pinker writes about in Enlightenment Now. We use the principles of the Enlightenment. We use science and reason and pragmatism to reduce risk where we find it. And here we can reduce the risk from cigarette smoking absolutely dramatically. And in line with re respecting the rights of the people who are using it nice. and what we know about the science of nicotine. So why wouldn't we at least do that first? Now, as we mentioned, you're currently at the uh, Global Tobacco Nicotine Forum in, in Seoul. And, um, of course, it's not just Hong Kong that's talking about uh, tough anti-smoking measures. We've mentioned New Zealand, but countries around the world um, are, are, are talking about this. So, so tell us what the general sentiment is and um, uh, is what Hong Kong is, is now, or what's now been proposed in Hong Kong, is it so far out of step with what's happening in other countries? Well, I think many countries are talking about uh, effectively forms of prohibition. Uh, very few are actually moving on it because once it's examined, I, I think it's found wanting. You know, we, we've seen these examples with the, the prohibition on alcohol in the U.S. and other countries, the sort of stuff that, you know, Lisa McGurr writes about in her wonderful history of that time of 
the, the tendency of some people to want to use the power of the state to impose their moral views on the behavior of others. It doesn't work. It's almost invariably a disaster. And we keep doing it. We do it on sexual behaviors. We do it on alcohol. We do it on gambling. And and people are saying, gee, great idea. Why don't we do that on, mm. uh, on nicotine? I mean, I think we could get rid of cigarettes very quickly, but you don't do that the way Hong Kong has done by banning the safer alternatives uh, and then say, oh, and, and now we'll, we'll ban what's there. I mean, that's like banning the clean needles um, or, or banning the use of condoms uh, rather than saying... What's so so, so this is your position. I mean, the, you, you, your belief that the e-cigarettes shouldn't have been banned because it's a safer you know, delivery mechanism than uh, than uh, tobacco, regular tobacco smoking. But I mean, the, the issue that has been raised here for e-cigarettes is that it's a poor alternative, that it's actually very harmful as a delivery well, I mean, mechanism. That's just not what the science, the science tells us. And there, there's a, a range of other options. What, the chewing, chewing, chew, chewing gum? Well, there's, uh, there's nicotine uh, pouches that are going over very well. I've replaced cigarettes in many places. Apparently in, in Iceland, virtually no one under the age of 35 smokes anymore. They have these pouches that are incredibly low risk. Sweden got down to 5% smoking rates, much lower than that among the people who are native to Sweden because the rates have been pushed up by immigrants and refugees. But 5%, not by, by banning the use of tobacco or nicotine, but by offering people an alternative product that doesn't require them to suck smoke into their lungs. So their death rates are massively lower. And if you look at people who are using these low-risk products, we can't see a difference in the epidemiology, the, the disease rates, between them and people who don't use tobacco at all. So we know we can greatly reduce the risk. You know, it, So why wouldn't we do this pragmatic strategy to say, we'll work with people, we'll empower them, We'll give them alternatives. We'll, we'll use nudges to try to move this market rather than saying, I know you're addicted, but I'm just going to try to force you to stop doing something that you've already shown you're incapable of stopping in a society where there's going to be alternative sources made available to them. Okay. Don't we end up with a disaster that then sets us back and, and delays us doing the sensible pragmatic strategies? Hmm. It's interesting, you're drawing a very clear distinction between um, nicotine and the dangers of smoke. And uh, earlier on, we had the advocates of a total ban in um, Hong Kong on the show, and they were talking very much in terms of, of the effects of smoke. Um, and they were talking about the effects of secondhand smoke on children. And uh, you, you yeah. presumably say that, that can all be dealt with by, by switching to these other nicotine products, right? Yeah, exactly. They're the same way as we've dramatically changed the death rates on so many other uh, goods and services not by banning the whole category, but by looking at how do we empower people to use something that doesn't harm the people around them, that, that either ha causes them little or no harm, hmm. uh, something that's less addictive. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous to say, I'm banning the safe products, but now I'm gonna forbid you from doing what you're doing. It's sort of like uh, telling people the theater's on fire, you have to get out, but having blocked the exits. Okay, and what you started There's on... But what kicks you off onto this one is the fact that e-cigarettes were banned in Hong Kong. But there was seen that, that e-cigarettes have an, a, 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 they were becoming very popular here, and government was very worried about them. Uh, set, that it became a real uh, a tradition here uh, and a habit in Hong Kong, so they they banned it early. Um, but the alternative products that have been promoted were, you know, the, the chewing gum and the, and the patches on. Uh, but that doesn't seem to satisfy the smoker, and not the social aspect of exactly. nicotine. But, but there's a range of 
There's a range of products that will, uh, and this has been proven in country after country. I mean, Japan was seen as an intractable market. We never really deal with the smoking rates in Japan. Cigarette sales have fallen by half in just seven years because of the availability of just one type of alternative. You know, what happens if you give a range of alternatives and you give people truthful information and you use tax policy, a marketing uh, uh, differentiation, so in a risk proportionate way, mm. can you move the market the way we did to sanitary food or to science-based pharmaceuticals or to reduce the harm of, of, uh, of narcotics by giving people a safer alternative? Clear. And what was uh, the alternative the in Japan? Uh, in Japan, it's a heated tobacco product. So, so it's the, uh, the, uh, the e-cigarettes. Uh... Uh, no, it's different from what we call e-cigarettes. So it, uh, it doesn't... Uh, 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 it doesn't require that that use of, of vapor. It's just a heating product. Mm. In Sweden, it's an oral product. We're now seeing the uh, oral nicotine products don't include tobacco at all that are doing a very remarkable job of replacing cigarettes. And this isn't a surprise. If you work with people, the people who are smoking cigarettes are saying, I wish I didn't do this. Mm. But they're doing it either because they're addicted or they're self-dosing uh, to deal with various conditions because nicotine does have effects on people. There's reasons people use drugs. Hmm. We can do this in a way that empowers them to make better decisions about their own health. And that, that's the public health approach. Okay. I think the, yes. the idea that we're going to try to force you to change, and all of us know how effective that is when we look at the history of other prohibition efforts. I mean, people tried to prohibit coffee. Murad the Fourth in uh, Istanbul okay. said, okay. "If you to drinking coffee, we'll, we'll beat you." <laughs> Clear. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, David uh, Sweener, adjunct professor of law and chair of the advisory committee uh, Law and Policy and Ethics at University of Ottawa, currently in Seoul at the Global Nicotine uh, Tobacco and Nicotine Forum, uh, joining our discussion. Uh, on the, uh, this call by the University of Hong Kong's Medical School for Complete Ban on Smoking uh, to a close. But uh, a lot of listeners had uh, uh, views on this. I'm going to give the, the last word to, um, as always, uh, to one of our listeners. Uh, uh, Lewis says, I don't want Hong Kong to be a nanny state. But as a non-smoker, I'd be happy not to have people smoking near me. Yep. There is merit in banning smoking in a public merely on the basis of public health. Alternatively, consider smoking and alcohol-related illnesses as self-inflicted and deny people free medical treatment. Radical, but it may make people take better care of their bodies. Well, thank go. you very much, Good Luis. And thank today. you indeed to all, all our listeners who uh, emailed or um, left comments on Facebook. Uh, stay with us. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay, tuned Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 266 and have your say. 
Welcome back to Back Chat. In the closing segment of uh, this morning's show, we are welcoming actor and composer Mick Sand to uh, the studio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Good morning. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> Mick has a very difficult job because uh, he is he does a solo bilingual adaptation of Guaylo. Guaylo, for those who are not not aware of it, is uh, Martin Booth's very popular book about growing up in 1950s um, Hong Kong. Um, the book, as far as I un- understand it, is a series of sort of different episodes. Mm-hmm. Discrete episodes. It's, it's not written as a as a play or, or for as a movie script. So that's uh, there's right. really there's a, there's there's a lot of work there. Now um, this is not the first time that um, you've been performing this, is it? And indeed, I, I looked and uh, there's some rave reviews even in the Financial Times for your um, uh, previous performances. So mm-hmm. backed by popular demand in um, in uh, Shenghuan Civic Center, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Now just tell us about the the difficulties of this adaptation. Sure. Yes, you're right. Exactly. The memoir. Is- is a series of it's a wonderful memoir of little stories, but um, they don't exactly <laughs> yes. cohere. Uh, uh, they don't have a through line. So we do take some artistic liberties to make it interesting dramatically for an hour and forty-five minutes. But um, overall, it, it is Martin Booth's work. We do have to get copyright for it, and um, we've got approval for it. And um, yes, I think we we've uh, how we've adjusted it and make the. Th- Essentially, it's a, a story of how how we see it is how a British family moves to Hong Kong, and initially in our version, how they initially might be a bit resistant to Hong Kong, especially it's set in the 1950s, so you know before air conditioning and all that, and and how Hong Kong gets into your under your skin, as many expatriates have experienced in Hong Kong. And, and, and tell us a bit more about now. What, what's the experience for uh, the, the, the one that comes and attends your show? You're on your own. Yes. You're on stage. There's background, no background. I mean, uh, I do have a, set. Thankfully, uh-huh. I have lovely lighting. There's a. I mean, I am alone on stage, uh-huh. but I do have two lovely musicians with me. I have a whole set and crew and costumes. So it does. You know, it's quite a theatrical experience. The uh, I do play about 28 different characters, uh, three main characters, the family, the father, mother, and Martin, of course. 28 different characters? <laughs> yes, that's right. you ever have a bit of a split personality problem? <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend says so, yes. Um, well, I mean, it's good fun, you know. I mean, usually as an actor, I'm much more used to having other actors to bounce off of. Mm. But um, in this case, you know, I think it's quite an ancient tradition to just be a one solo man production, you know, I'm... It's I, I, when I, I get a bit intimidated sometimes to think I have to do all of these old Hong Kong characters, but Homer had to do the entire, entire Trojan War by himself, so... You know. But it is a quite basic set. Let, let, let me read from a South China Morning Post review when you performed before. The set was unexpected. There were no neon, neon lights, Chinese so- shop signs, or even a rickshaw. Sand <laughs> just moved among pastel-coloured versions of IKEA furniture. So you're just using a few bits and pieces from IKEA, right? <laughs> well, in uh, uh, actually, or has it, it changed this time? I it, mean, that was a review for the last time you performed. Yes, it, the colours are very basic. Yes, because in in a way, the whole, just like in the memoir, it's all set in Martin. Booth's memory. So all the characters are kind of based from him directly. So the it it kind of makes sense in this kind of production to do it from Martin's perspective. You know, maybe for example, we don't show his father in a very nice light, but neither does he look very good in in the book as well. So it's from his perspective, and um, it's um, well, well I'm trying to think what's 
Well, I, I mean, what's beautiful is the set, there's a beautiful white set. So whenever there's a lovely flood of light that comes on, so for example, we have the Homantian fire there, and the set goes into fiery red, which is gorgeous, and we go to Sheko Beach, and it's this gorgeous blue, you know, the, the set really does feel like it how, transforms. How does the beach work with IKEA furniture? How do you really... <laughs> well, the, actually, the, the, yeah, the audience has to use a lot, quite a lot of imagination, I would imagine. That's fun. Y yes, it is good fun. But in the theatre, it works. I think it wouldn't work if we actually filmed it. But, you know, in the theatre, it's because I'm doing all these different accents. I'm going from between Cantonese to English and almost Martin learning Cantonese. So it goes into slightly pidgin Cantonese. And some of the ca characters who are Chinese trying to learn English are also slightly pidgin English. But you, 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 we see a, a sort of development. And mm. um, judging from how their response, they seem to, to follow Who, on. Who's Martin? Who's Martin Booth? Hmm. Well, he's a, in the 50s. His family, his parents, Joyce and Ken, moved to Hong Kong. Um, they were civil servants, essentially. And he, um, he was a naughty little boy who just wandered all around the city and went to places he shouldn't have gone, like the Kowloon Walled City. Mm -hmm. Yes. And um, it's, it's kind of a growth story. I mean, I would say the main arch is actually really the mother. Because when Martin arrives, just like me, when I came to Hong Kong, Hong Kong just initially became my home. I don't, didn't even have any memories of... of um, I'm originally French and Finnish, but I have no memories of that. And Martin is very similar in that respect. But this, I feel like the arch of our story is following the mother, Joyce, who, um, well, she, um, she, you know, she grew up in England, and it's the, the contrast between England at that time and Hong Kong was very great. So you, you identify with Martin in a sense, then. Well, let's talk about your, your, your background. I mean, you, as you said, you, you moved to Hong Kong, you lived in Discovery Bay, and um, amazingly, you learned Cantonese. I mean, there can't be many um, um, expat kids uh, with no Chinese parents who actually succeed in learning Cantonese in, in Discovery Bay, and not just learn Cantonese, many of us can speak a bit of Cantonese, but can, can, can actually, uh, enough Cantonese to actually perform bilingual. So um, mm. you had maybe a, a more sort of... Um, local background, if we uh, upbringing, is that fair to say? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I uh, there's many similarities I hold with Martin, but I, I wouldn't. Our, my family, I wouldn't call ourselves expatriates. If we were really expatriates, I think I would have gone to the French school and learned to speak right, French. Yes, okay, maybe to, but yes. non-Chinese speaking, or at mm. least non-Chinese speaking parents. Yes, yeah, non -Chinese exactly. Speaking parents, and then nonetheless, you went on to yes. um, to learn Cantonese. So you, we're very much like immigrants in that sense. My yeah. parents were very insistent that we learn Chinese. So the other white kids who were in my school were my siblings. So we all speak Cantonese quite well. And um, yes, um, I don't know if I was as naughty as Martin when I was exploring, but yes, that um, I went to local Chinese school until I was six. Uh, no, I'm sorry, until sixth grade. And um, then I eventually went to high, English high school in uh, ESF, which is which I'm very thankful for because um, I think my English education did help me as well. On the, uh, you know, this is mostly a British family, so it's um, that's the main focus of the story. Um, and you really feel confident enough to actually perform bilingual? I mean, that's it's one thing to, to speak some Cantonese. It's enough to actually feel confident enough to actually um, perform bilingually. Yes. Well, I, I did have to learn to read and write it. And even uh, everything in local school was in Cantonese. Even the English lessons were in Cantonese. Um, yes. And even previously, I worked on with the same company, with Wu Hoifei, the director and co-writer of the show. I did a full Cantonese production with him before I did this show uh, called uh, Yellowface Wong. 
Wong Mi Lo. So, um, yes, I'm very grateful to be very fluent in my in my in Cantonese, but unfortunately, I'm not fluent in my French. That was the sacrifice. <laughs> you're, you're not uh, you're not resident in Hong Kong. You come back to perform, right? Or you know, do you still live in Hong Kong, or you you live overseas? Yeah, I do live live overseas now. After COVID, I've decided to come in and out. Yes. So Hong Kong at the time of the, the, the author put the book together and today, I mean, is Hong Kong the same when it comes to these stories and these, the characters? They're still, there, they're still all there um, when you come back? I think there, it's a very different time. I mean, Hong Kong has always had a lot of change in it. And this is a, a moment in, in the 1950s was a moment of huge change. This was after World War II, so the Japan, after Japanese op- occupation. And um, the population of Hong Kong had almost doubled because of the Cultural Revolution. Very quickly. Very quickly, yes. Yeah. So it's, um, it's quite an interesting period of... Um, of Hong Kong, and um, my director, who's also a dramaturg, um, he, uh, we did quite a lot of research interviewing different people about what it was like at that time, and um, even my British accent that I do there is, is slightly heightened, that older English, you know, mm. where they say garage instead of garage, or, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it does take quite a lot of research to get the little elements right. Let me quote again that there's an interesting line from South China Morning Post um, review last time you um, last time you performed. He says, uh, "Son says in the program that he wants to avoid nostalgia, but he hasn't entirely succeeded in avoiding nostalgia. The plays a nostalgic reminder of um, people coming to Hong Kong over the ages. So mm-hmm. Is that still you, you don't want it to be nostalgic, but inevitably it ends up being nostalgic? Is that a You're fair, fair assessment? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know that was when we first did the show seven years ago, and I didn't. I wanted it to be a much more documentarian uh, show but in a way it is it's it after these we've reran it now three times and we uh, we've rewritten it as well and it has become admittedly more and more nostalgic because hong kong has had a lot of change and um we um we, not that we we direct that change directly you know this is still set in the 50s but it's it's also showing an element of people who have to leave Hong Kong, you know, near the end. And it's, uh, there's a, we have, we rewrote um, a final little song at the end, a farewell to Hong Kong. And it's undoubtedly nostalgic towards Hong Kong. But I think it's sort of showing how Hong Kong gets under your skin wherever you're from, whether you're Chinese or you're British or wherever it's um, so yes maybe I have failed to not make it so nostalgic do you miss Hong Kong I mean you've left the last few years so do you miss it yes I mean when I first did the show I didn't miss it at all because I was so used to it I was but now having left it I can relate to many of the other characters now of you know, I just, I'm a boomerang. I just keep coming back here and wanting more and more of it, yes. We want Hong Kong. It's in your blood. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure you feel the same way too. Well, I've been here 40 years, yes. So, so uh, yeah, it's in your blood. And Danny's been here for a very long time. <laughs> Probably slightly less than you, Paul. Let's talk about practical details. Uh, uh-huh. that, yeah, uh, the, show, the show started last week and it's continuing to run Friday, Saturday this week, right? That's right. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. On Friday, uh, Saturday, it will be from 7.30. And then on Sunday, we'll be performing it at the last show at 2.30 p.m. But we're also bringing the show to Paris okay. in November and we'll be performing at the Théâtre 13 at uh, the Glacier. And there's still tickets left? 
Yes, uh, I think just about. For this weekend? For this weekend, they're nearly gone, but uh, yes. And where do, people, uh, where do you want people to go to find the tickets? You um, can get it at Herbtix or Artsmate. And okay. Google quite low at Herbtix, yes. basically. Okay, well, we will have to... It's great to have you in the studio, uh, Mikasan. Good luck with the remaining performances. Uh, really, so Enjoy We should go along. Um, and thank you very much uh, to um, my uh, co-guest presenter, um, um, Paul Zimmerman. Uh, tomorrow it will be Janice and Philip Wong. So join us again for Back Chat tomorrow.